0: everybody. Tyler Smith here with another More Than One Lesson mini number 62, in which we will be talking about uh, Milos Forman's Amadeus, the Best Picture winner of 1984. But before we get into that, I will welcome in my co-host, Josh Long. Josh, hello. how you doing? I'm doing all right. All right. Glad to hear it. So uh, let's just jump right in. Uh, I don't all feel right. like any small talk. All right. Uh, mostly it, because it's the second one of these that we're doing in a row. Well, that's true. Um, so I've wasted all my small talk in that out of Africa episode. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so we are talking about the film Amadeus, which I actually rewatched, uh, to prepare for this. Uh, I had not seen it in many years, probably over 10. And though I did have actually a pretty good memory of it, um, I was glad that I, that I, I was glad to rewatch it. Um, I mm-hmm. think it is a, great movie i Mm -hmm. think it is absolutely uh, deserving of best picture i say that having only seen one of the other nominees but um but yeah i'll I'll talk more about it in a moment uh but uh are you a fan of amadeus i am all right why uh hey josh
1: he made some good music why do you
0: why do you like amadeus the movie
1: oh the movie yeah oh no i hate this oh okay no just kidding no, I, I, I like this movie a lot. I, I'm trying to remember if I've seen – I must have seen it more than once because as much as I remember about it, uh, I it can't – because the first time I saw it was in high school. So I must have seen it again since then to remember as much as I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, I, I remember <laughs> I remember the first time I saw it being in high school, it was I found it a little unsettling because mm-hmm. um, it's a rather depressing movie. Very. Um, but uh, but I think the ideas being explored are really interesting. I think uh, it's an interesting example of a because it was based on a play. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's an interesting example of a film based on a play adapted, you know, you know, adapted into a film. Because there aren't a whole lot of Best Picture winners or even nominees probably that are like that. Yeah. But it doesn't feel small at all. It doesn't feel like a play.
0: Yeah, Driving Miss Daisy was based on a play. Yeah, and I can see that.
1: Yes. Um, but this one, it just seems so big and so it, epic in a lot of ways. No. Um, it's hard to imagine it b- being a play. And I was just looking it up to, and the, it said the budget was only $18 million. Now, granted, this is 30 years ago, but that seems like nothing.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I was watching, oddly enough, I was watching special features on, uh, the James Cameron film Aliens. Mm-hmm. Their budget was $18 million. Really? Yeah.
1: Wow. I guess you could. So we just waste a lot more money than we used to. Is the point? I. It think. would
0: appear uh, from what I from what I heard from a uh, one of the producers of, of Aliens, and I think maybe one or two others, that these days eighteen million is like barely the uh, the marketing budget, and so I feel like there's a lot more um, there's a lot more required as as a you know according to the studio is a lot more required to making a movie. And also like with visual effects being what they are now, as Mm -hmm. opposed to practical effects, then like undoubtedly aliens, I don't know why we're talking about aliens. I apologize. (laughs) Like I'm sure that and Amadeus had huge crews, but it's all very practical stuff. And so they are sort of required to work within their budget. Whereas I think from what it sounds like, I mean, you watch any superhero movie these days and the credits go on probably a solid 2 minutes longer than than movies of the past even even like special effects extravaganzas and it's just – and there's just a huge block of names yeah. for when it says animators. And it's just this ju- – just a sea – just a wall of words. It's
1: just so many people, so yeah. many
0: more people. and I, <coughs> So I think it might be that.
1: I wonder if it happens sometimes where the rest of the movie is made and then the – those companies just have the producers over a barrel and we're like – they're like, yeah, you know, actually that's going to take us – this much longer or we have to hire 50 more people or something i don't know like it's it it seems kind of insane it's almost like you're making two movies you know like you're making one movie that's a bunch of people on a green screen stage and then you're making another movie that's everything that's around them it's like you've combined a pixar movie with a you know practical effects action movie
0: well, if you're lucky, I mean, some, yeah. some movies, there's almost no practical effects at all. Oh no, yeah. Um, the bad ones, uh, <laughs> star Wars prequels, for example.
1: And for people who don't have a frame of reference for budgets necessarily, uh, a Transformers movie is going to cost $250 million. Yeah. That that's about, that's about what they're at. So yeah. $18 million is a drop in the bucket. That's nothing.
0: Yeah. I mean, even ju- like, I don't know what that is adjusted for inflation, but even so, yeah, like even if inflation was double, double. or
1: <laughs> triple yeah. what it
0: was in 1985 yeah, um, or four, pardon me. Yeah, 18 is, is nothing. And Amadeus is a period film where they're building sets, yeah. they're – Elaborate costumes. I mean a lot yeah. of this takes place in palaces, like yeah. uh, emperor's palaces. Yeah. And you're seeing stage productions with yeah. a lot of costumes there and that yeah. sort of thing. And so, um, I mean, I guess they didn't have to – pay any money to license any music yeah. so i guess there's that uh <laughs> maybe that's maybe that's what they figured out it's like i don't want to pay any i don't want to pay to license any music hey i know what we'll do <laughs> let's do a biopic of a classical composer uh,
1: and see let's we'll
0: use his music if
1: they'd used all like Haydn for the transformers i could have made that movie for 20 million
0: absolutely <laughs> absolutely um I wish I knew who the composer of the Transformers films was, because then I would be like, oh, that guy, he requires so much. Um, but, yeah, so, uh, yeah, it's – when you and when you look at that and you realize, like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing what they managed to achieve. But when you think about it, I mean, yeah, I mean, it just – it's just so opulent. The film won, among other things, it did win art direction. It yeah. did win costume Costumes. design and sound and makeup. Along with other things, but uh, but yeah, the stuff that that really puts you into that world and feels lived in, um, yeah, they had to make that happen with a very small amount of money. I don't know how they did it, um, but uh, but the film is very effective uh, as a result. Um, and it's all about uh, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart and his relationship with Antonio Salieri, who is a the court composer. For the Emperor of Austria. Um, was it Austria at the time? I think so. Because it all takes place in Vienna, so I only ever think in terms of Vienna, but it's right. like. But I don't remember. Was Austria. There, was there
1: Prussia? could have been
0: Prussia yeah. at that point. So uh, I, I don't positive. recall. I apologize, everybody. Uh, apologies to current Austrian listeners. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, uh, so. And it's told from the point of view of Salieri. And uh, Salieri, Salieri was a real guy. He was a composer. He wrote a number of operas. He helped shape what opera is as a as an art form. Mm-hmm. Um, but people don't remember him. They they remember Mozart. They remember his music. Even people that don't like classical music, if you play some of Mozart's better known pieces, they'll know it instinctively. They might not be able to say who wrote it. I might not I might not be able to say who wrote it, but I've heard it. Um, and this is actually something demonstrated at the beginning of the film when an older Salieri is talking to a priest and he has a piano next to him and he plays some of his own pieces and the priest is like, I'm sorry, I don't know that. And then he starts playing something from Mozart and the priest is like, oh, I do know that. Did you write that? He said, no, I didn't write that. (laughs) Um, and so, uh, and what I, what I do really like about, and I guess this is, you know, it is based on a play and I feel like. There's something about plays. I, I think a good play and will be inherently character-based um, and dialogue-driven, yeah. and will and will often be is willing to go deeper than most films. Yeah. So this is based on a play, and so it stands to reason that in the middle of all this opulence, the characters don't get lost. In fact, yeah. they're even. They're magnified even more.
1: Cause it would be easy to have them lost in this oh, yeah. sea of, you know, beautiful places and ornate yeah. costumes and, uh, all that. Yeah. But, but that's not the case at all. Like not what at you, all. what you remember is, is, uh,
0: Salieri's inner torture more yeah. than anything. And, and you remember Mozart's crazy laugh and, and just his, his, uh, decadent lifestyle and his like, refusal to compromise and that sort of thing. So yeah, it's, and it's very much these two guys that you remember. There are other characters and they're good. They're played well. Um, but these are the two characters that you remember, um, which is as it should be. Um, looks like it was
1: Austria at the time from what I can see.
0: So, yeah. And so the big push of the film is that Salieri has devoted his life to God. And by the way, there might be an actual ep- a full episode of more than one lesson in this. Cuz I think I had forgotten just how much Salieri prayed to God to give him talent. Yeah. But not merely talent. That's one thing cuz he had talent. But he wanted the kind of talent that Mozart had. He yeah. wanted the kind of talent that according to him would, would give people joy thinking about it through the ages, something that would last longer than his actual life. He wanted a legacy. He wanted to matter all of these things. And even though he was given talent, he was a good composer. He wasn't a great one, but he was a good one and tremendous success. You know, he never, he was probably pretty rich yeah. and the emperor himself would turn to him for matters of, you know, uh, music appreciation and that sort of thing. So, I mean, in many ways, like he is, he's doing pretty well, but yeah, he's not doing, sorry, talent wise. He's not doing as well as Mozart and that eats him up. Cause that's the thing. He's a good enough composer. There's a thing that I've, that I've read many, many times is that it's not merely that he's a good composer and he'll only ever think a certain way. Unlike some of the other composers in the film and the other uh, musical uh, consultants that the emperor has, he's good enough to know brilliance when he hears it yeah, and know that he can't replicate it and that that just eats away at him. yeah. And so it is about his envy and his frustration and his feeling of inadequacy and all that. And there's a lot to connect to as just regular people, like whether that be uh, in creative pursuits
1: specifically mm-hmm. or whether that just be in the contrast between like uh you know like your regular corporate guy who has a good job and yeah. like a rock
0: star oh yeah absolutely and so and i will say to get a little to get a little bit personal i was telling you this last night so uh if you're a movie person uh, a conversation that you will likely have with other movie people is are there any movie characters that remind you Mm. of yourself. Yeah. And, uh, the ones that I would always jump to for me, uh, miles from sideways played by Paul Giamatti, uh, Richard Nixon <laughs> as played, uh, <at>, sorry <laughs> in the, in the Oliver Stone film Nixon, but as time went on, uh, also in the, uh, Ron Howard film, Frost Nixon. Mm. Um, so those are the two I always went to. Uh, it would appear over the years I forgot about Salieri and he might be number one. <laughs> um, which is unfortunate because if you read certain reviews and certain synopses of the film, it describes him as the villain. Um, and I think, oh,
1: <laughs> to I me, think, he that's seems, an overly simplistic read on the film.
0: I hope so. Yeah. Cause to me, we're. Anybody that you're likely to know is way closer to Salieri as far as talent level, and everybody understands what it means to want to be better and frustrated that they're not. Yeah. Um, but it's more than that. It's also just this idea that, <clears throat> like, uh, I feel so, and I've said it on the show before, I feel such tremendous envy of the people around me. Often for what they're able to do, Hmm. ability for me is the big thing. Hmm, I want to be able to do everything so Mm -hmm. that I'm always useful in every situation. (laughs) Now, I recognize that's not totally uh, feasible, Mm -hmm. um, but that's what I want. And I've actually had conversations – maybe with you, but also with any number of other people. And they'll say like, yes, but look at how God, look how God has blessed you. Like you have a wonderful wife. You know, you actually, you, you know, I live, we're recording this in my office, in my home. Now it's, it's a town home in North Hills, but it's still a house. I'll take it. Um, You know, you've been blessed with this, this, and this. And because all of those things were external, it meant nothing. Hmm. What I, it's like, that's all well and good. But the fact is, you know, if somebody ever needs something from me, I won't be able to provide it because I am – the word usually is fraud uh, and just feeling like I'm never good enough and I I can't – and feeling like I can't actually do anything. I don't have the ability to do anything. And that is Salieri. That is mm-hmm. – he's – like I said, the emperor turns to him. Yeah, He has tremendous wealth. Mm-hmm. He has influence. But he lacks the ability – the amount of ability – the level of ability that he wants, and yeah. because he doesn't have that, he doesn't have anything. Yeah, as far as it's and it's, it
1: really comes. Uh, and I guess it has been a little while since I've seen the film, but from my remembrance of it, he doesn't feel like he's lacking in ability until he meets Mozart, right?
0: Well, and it sounds like, and I did watch the director's cut, which maybe is the only version I've ever seen. It's mm-hmm. it's the one that's on Netflix right now. Um, he he'd known of Mozart ever since he was a kid. Yeah and and Mozart was a kid. Okay. And so like I mean he grew up knowing that there was this kid that was great. Yeah. And Cause he was I don't like a know child if, prodigy. Yeah, and I don't know if that ever drove him when he was younger because at the time he was just praying to to be for the opportunity to make music. And then he's given that opportunity, but then Mozart really comes to prominence. And in that moment – because I think if he was – if Mozart was t- toiling in not merely poverty but complete obscurity, I think Salieri would have felt a little been, bit better. Yeah. But there's something about everyone starting to hear about this guy. Mm-hmm. And then Salieri having specific – and the idea that like um, – I'll bring this up. This is This is something that I thought. Okay, the comedian Mitch Hedberg. You know who he is, right? Yeah. All right. Mitch Hedberg had a very specific onstage persona and it, by all accounts, that's who he was in life that he was just kind of, he seemed very laid back, probably perpetually stoned. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but his jokes were k- brilliant. His mm-hmm. jokes were brilliant. And there was a lot of professional envy that he could be that good. So seemingly effortless, mm-hmm. uh, effortlessly, pardon me. Um, But I've listened to enough comedy podcasts to know that um, people that knew him knew that he would toil over a joke Mm -hmm. and he would get frustrated when he felt like a joke didn't work. Hmm. And in that moment, he became like the rest of us. He became like the other comedians because even though he seemed effortless, he was still putting in the work like everybody else. And that is a comfort. Mm -hmm. Whereas Salieri, I think by seeing... A who Mozart is, as depicted in the film, which is a guy who isn't trying to be good; he merely is, yeah. and and he's not putting in. I mean, he'll he'll do the work, but he's not putting in the sweat, right of of labor and effort that the other composers are. That Salieri is
1: and he's everything that you would expect from someone who got famous for his talent as a child, like yeah. He, he just gets whatever he wants. He doesn't work hard at anything. He's, he's a, uh, 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 what's the word? There's an old timey word for someone who's like frivolous and chasing after women and stuff like that. Uh, I can't think of it, but you know, he's, he's very irresponsible Yeah, and, um, you know, just it rings of somebody who has, uh, always been told that they're, yeah. Amazing.
0: Yeah, they've always been told they're amazing, and it turns out... They are amazing. They are amazing. <laughs> and so I think the frustration for Salieri, when it really comes in... Like, if he had met Mozart, and Mozart was exactly like him, who was just... Working really hard and then salary, cause then he could say like, well, all, it sounds like all I need to do is work harder mm-hmm. and then maybe I'll get there. But this guy's not working hard at all. So no. it's like, so that's when he reverts back to God and he says, God has blessed this ridiculous little man with tremendous talent. Meanwhile, I work and work and I remain celibate and all that. Mm-hmm. And I'll only ever be a mediocrity in yeah. his own words. It's horrifying. Yeah. It is horrifying, the idea of that, even though it happens all the time. You know? Yeah. Um, there are people who just, and by the way, like, that's, it's similar to a, a line that I've quoted from, uh, Frost Nixon that, that really resonates with me personally, which is towards the end, uh, did you ever see it? I forget.
1: No, I've never seen it.
0: I will lend it to you. I think you would enjoy it tremendously. But first, you gotta watch Murder on the Orient Express. Among um, other things. <clears throat> among other things, yes. Uh, but there's a scene at the end when, Nixon is talking to David Frost, and he's saying, like, those, those cocktail parties and stuff that you go to, those social events, do you actually enjoy those? And David Frost says, yes, I do. And then Nixon says, you have no idea how lucky that makes you. Just the idea that, like, somebody – can because Nixon was kind of solitary and just didn't really enjoy people that much and constantly felt judged by people, and thus, if he were to go to those types of parties, he would just feel so uncomfortable in, in his own skin. and." Mm-hmm. And according and and based on and oddly enough, that's actually also based on a play. Um, hmm. But so in his view, like Frost's ability to socialize, do that yeah, has made him a much happier person hmm. and one that's much more uh, adaptable to situations and one that, whereas, like you know, Nixon is very aware that he's hated by people and all that. And so I feel like um, I feel like. Uh, I'm sure everybody has something that they look at and maybe another person and maybe it doesn't translate out to like a bitter envy, but it's like, I wish I could do that, but I can't. Um, and, and other people seem, and people seem to be able to know where to put that. Like they, they seem to be able to give it a place. I feel like I am not, I feel like I'm just so overwhelmed by my own, to use Salieri terms, my own mediocrity that, it just like eats away at me, and I look at a I, mo- I look at a movie like Amadeus is like a cautionary tale because he eventually tries to kill himself, mm-hmm. winds up in a sanitarium, and the very oh my gosh, <laughs> the very last shot is he's being wheeled through the sanitarium, and they are just there are just you know crazy people all over the place. Some of them naked, by the way, mm-hmm. spoilers. Um, <laughs> So, uh, maybe spoilers is what I, warning is what I should have said. <laughs> um, and as he's going, he's laughing at his own mediocrity, but not mm-hmm. laughing like, hey, hey what, not like good What nature, are you going to do? <laughs> more like just the self-hatred he feels is so palpable. It's so real in that moment, uh, that he's la, he's mocking himself and he's even calling himself like, He's saying, like, I am the – he's like, I am the, the patron saint of mediocrity. Mm-hmm. And, and he says, like, I – keep keeps saying I absolve I you. I absolve you to all the crazy people around yeah. him and all that. And it's just – and that's the end. Yeah. Credits roll. <laughs> it's it's so – it's rough. It is yeah. rough to watch. And yet, if I might get away from my own personal issues, and yet, such an entertaining movie. Yeah. It's, it's great. Yeah. It's so much – it's fun it in many ways when you look at it it sets it kind of when you look at the modern musical biopic like ray or walk the line or any of these others and they're at this point it is its own little subgenre yeah um amadeus is very much like that now this one is told from somebody else's perspective but if you Mm -hmm. were to only look at the mozart stuff it's a guy who's brilliant but nobody realize, seems to realize it. He goes broke. He starts drinking and taking various sorts of drugs to cope with it. His he distances himself from his wife
1: mm-hmm. while
0: he continues to try to do good. And then he dies young. Yeah. Like <laughs> now, admittedly, Ray Charles didn't die young. Johnny Cash didn't die young. But like Jim Morrison did. Yeah. Um, Lenny Bruce, who wasn't a rock star, but he was kind of like that. Kind of lived yeah. that life. Like he he died young. It it is sort of a, an earlier version of that story. Yeah. Um,
1: and, but it's interesting that it, the uh, major difference between this and a lot of biopics is the biopics tend to kind of lionize their subject a little bit. Yeah. You're like, you're here cause you love Ray Charles where he, well, here he is in all his glory. Yeah. Uh, with a few flaws here and there to show that he's a real person.
0: Or they go too far. Cause I saw a film called Gainsburg mm-hmm. about Serge Gainsburg. And they they so badly don't – they want to be careful not to lionize their subject that they make him look like the worst human being on the face of the planet that no music could ever redeem. And after a while, it's just like, why am I watching this story about this horrible man who never learned his lesson? Um, So, yeah, it it goes usually one or the other. Hmm. Whereas this, I think, walks that line. Yeah. Um, Like the film Walk the Line. There you go. Um, in that it makes it clear that he does love Mozart does love music. Yeah. He's good at it and he loves it, and his frustration comes with not being able to do it. Yeah, uh, and maybe he is frustrated at his own personality.
1: Mm-hmm. Like
0: there's a part where he's he says to the emperor he says I'm a vul-, he says I'm sorry I am a vulgar man, but my music isn't. Yeah, so he seems aware of his own flaws. Just in many ways just as much as salieri is yeah um and so so mozart definitely because partially because it's told from somebody else's perspective he could have seemed like a two-dimensional character but he isn't no he's he's fully fully realized by actor tom holtz and uh it's just a his performance is great but i think but the the winner of best actor in 1984 was F Murray Abraham for playing Salieri
1: mm-hmm. for
0: all the reasons that I'm talking about that he's a guy who who hates himself so much that he finds the he sees it all as a cruel joke yeah um but he but you also see and this is the I think this is the I'm going to say genius of the movie Salieri is not so blinded by his own envy that he that he says oh Mozart he's not even that good yeah he knows it's good. Yeah. And what's more, and he resents that, but he still loves the music. Like, he still is happy that this music is out there because he is a music lover first. And if you right. were able to focus more on that, because, there's, because even though he likes what Mozart is doing, he, the envy still causes him to throw up roadblocks so that Mozart doesn't get what he wants. Right, yeah. Now, it's interesting, if Salieri was purely... A music lover and he was not and and his envy maybe it was still there but that wasn't what governed him then he would say i will i will do as much as i can to make sure people hear this music yeah and in a way in that part he's 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 a part of it then he's a champion of it when and sometimes what an artist needs is a good champion right and but he doesn't so he throws up those roadblocks going against his own instinct to love this music there's so much complexity in that. Yeah. But it seems so it is so completely real. Yeah. That totally. is the complexity of a real person. Yeah. And F. Murray Abraham plays him, he plays him as a younger man, he plays him as a much older man. Uh does it seamlessly. I think the makeup is very good in the film, It one best makeup, I believe. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um and people always talk about how old old age makeup never looks good. I think it looks pretty good in Amadeus. Yeah, I think so too. I think older Salieri looks really good. Um so this is what I'm talking. I mean, we're, you know This is a film that has tremendous spectacle, but at its core, not unlike a movie like Lawrence of Arabia, and it's not a small thing for me to compare it to that film, Mm. not unlike that, at its core, there's a human story and almost a puzzle to work out and human tragedy because if Salieri could just tweak his thinking a little bit, he would have been a remarkably happy man who, who could see God's blessing in his life right and left. Right. But he only focused and on could what he did like
1: that. rejoice in the music that he loves that, that yeah. Mozart's able to create.
0: Yeah, and recognize that his mute not all music has to be Mozart. Sometimes you need a Salieri. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's there's so much going on. I've been talking for a while, and and I know you haven't you haven't seen it for a while, but you had a pretty good memory for it, right? Yeah. Um. So you you said you saw it first probably in high school.
1: That's the first time I saw it for sure, and I must have seen it since then. I can't think of when, but I. Like so much of it is memorable to me. I know. I know. I've seen it at least once since then.
0: And I think didn't you tell me a story last night that you saw it with? Friends yeah, I saw it and with, they with like friends. Got creeped in high out school. by it or something?
1: Um, I don't know that they got creeped out by it, but we we took a break in the middle for some reason, and I remember thinking like, I remember being up uh, unsettled a little bit by it. Mm-hmm. I think I may have even been thinking like, I don't know if I want to see the rest of this movie. Interesting. <laughs> um. But, you know, obviously glad that I did. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, I, I think it is unsettling. And I think the fact that even like I was gathering a lot of the unsettling stuff from it, even as a high school kid, you know, oh, yeah. Shows that it has some, uh, some
0: power to the story. That Salieri's story is universal. I mean, yeah. I, I can't, th- frankly, I can't think of a more high school idea than, oh, I wish I was that person.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's true.
0: Um, theoretically you should grow out of that but uh some of us don't um but yeah it's uh was there anything that really like re- i mean clearly i've talked about like what personally resonated with me um is there anything that about the film that like just really like i mean there has to have been a reason that you felt unsettled
1: yeah. i mean it's i feel like it's those same things i think that's that's the biggest strength of the movie is this uh the conflict that is having where he Uh, isn't what he wants to be and kind of lets that rule him so much um, that he doesn't, he doesn't, you know, he becomes miserable and it uh, even in getting rid of Mozart, he didn't really get rid of him, but he, he outlives him. And, but that's never, it's not good enough. Like nothing's ever going to change the fact that he's seen something that he's not and will eternally compare himself to that. Yeah. And that's really, Unsettling. <laughs> especially. I mean, especially the, with the ending. Like, the ending is oh. him just feeling, I don't know, feeling crazy, feeling like... Uh, um, do, do they specifically talk about him having turned against God at the end? Because it feels like that.
0: Oh, maybe not at the end, but early on, he's So, they will frequently show him praying to his crucifix yeah. on, the, on the wall. And at some point... He's looking at the crucifix and simply says, we are now enemies. Yeah. Because he hates the idea that God would so bless this other guy who's done no effort. Yeah. And that, you know, that he would not bless him.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's another interesting concept too, which you didn't talk a whole lot about, but it's just the, the idea of seeing yourself as the faithful one. Yeah. And, uh, there's probably a lot of false things in his, his, in Salieri's faith uh, as that character. But at the same time, he's certainly not what uh uh he's certainly not what mozart is you know he's he's certainly not carousing with women and getting drunk and being vulgar like you yeah. said it's a little um, prodigal
0: sunny yeah look at it that way
1: yeah um so he that's another layer of his character is is uh questioning that and and having that anger of why if i'm the one who's doing everything right is he the one who gets no. Yeah the not even the fame because eventually he falls out of favor with the fame but it's it's the talent
0: yeah um yeah and you know and you're a creative person do you feel like on that level whether it be like on either side of salieri either Mm -hmm. the the art lover and the music lover or the other side which is Oh, I wish I could be that. Like, did the film resonate with you on either of those levels or both?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think the 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 idea of, uh, um, I mean, I feel like we've all all seen some kind of comparison uh, to ourselves in in whatever career that we have, where y- you you say to yourself, "I I don't know that I'll ever be able to do that." I mean, especially at this point in uh, in culture, where you know everything is available at all times on the internet, you can always find something someone who's better at what you do than what you do probably right now um so uh, it's a that's a difficult thing to deal with you know and i feel like this this movie really digs into that that uh the neurosis that comes out of that
0: yeah it's it's such a fascinating film so looking at the other best picture nominees uh because we do need to start wrapping up um <clears throat> The Killing Fields, a a passage to India, Places in the Heart, and a Soldier's Story. The only one of those I've seen is The Killing Fields, which I saw in high school. I remember virtually none of. I feel (laughs) terrible about that because I think, I think I it's I don't think it's a bad movie. I think it's probably great. I -hmm. think I just saw it too young to really appreciate what was great about it. Huh.
1: Um, And it's and I haven't seen any of those. I haven't
0: seen. And a passage to India is directed by David Lean. Yeah. So I feel like, oh, I should, and it's got Judy Davis who's an actress I really like. Yeah. Um, so I feel like that's one that should be a priority. Uh, I hear Places in the Heart is pretty good and then, uh, I looked into Sol- a soldier's story and, um, I was looking into, I was watching the Siskel and Ebert. If we picked the winners, uh, for oh, 1984 yeah. and they actually both said that Soldier's story should not have been nominated for best picture. Really? Um, interesting. But, uh, but 84, boy, oh boy, there were a lot of movies, a lot of great movies that year and yeah. certainly a lot of movies that we now remember. Um, my personal, I think maybe my favorite movie of 1984 is Vim Vender's Paris, Texas. Okay. Which I think is a marvelous film. Yeah, that is a good one. And I really love it and relate to it. Um, <clears throat> but I'm going to go real quick and kind of, I'll pick, I'll cherry pick these a little bit. Ghostbusters was 84. <laughs> Beverly Hills Cop. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Gremlins. The Karate Kid. Footloose. The Terminator. Blood Simple. Broadway Danny Rose. The Never Ending Story. A Nightmare on Elm Street. Red Dawn. That's something only for us. Uh, <laughs> Repo Man. Secret Honor, which nobody knows about, but uh, I love that one, too. Also yeah. about Richard Nixon. Yeah, uh, 16 Candles, Stop Making Sense, the Talking Heads documentary. Stranger Than Paradise, uh, Jim Jarmusch's first, uh, not his first film, but like his first uh, distributed it's, film, I believe. Yeah. Uh, this is Spinal Tap, Top Secret. That's just a few. I didn't mention a few others. Hmm. Uh, that's a really good list of yeah. a lot of movies that have helped, that have shaped pop culture.
1: That's a that's a pretty good that's a pretty good movie here. And yeah. My uh my favorite one on that list is one that would never win Best Picture, which is This is Spinal Tap.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's uh although these days it'd probably be nominated for Song or something like that, because some of those songs yeah. are great. Maybe so. Um, yeah, and I mean and this is it's so interesting, like eighty four in many ways eighty four is like the year that certain filmmakers either Start their career mm-hmm. or become firmly established. You've got the Terminator. Mm-hmm. You've got a Nightmare on Elm Street. Now don't get me wrong. Wes, Wes Craven was already established as a horror director, but Nightmare on Elm Street is what made him Wes Craven.
1: I forget. Is, did he do Halloween? No, that's John Carpenter. Carpenter. Okay. Um, so yeah, what what did he do before that? Would there, would they he have did, been? I small think The like,
0: House on the Left. Okay. Um. So he did like those those very seventies horror. It'd movies. It would
1: be like you know gritty. Yeah. Almost kind of grindhouse stuff that wouldn't yeah. necessarily know. But but Nightmare on Elm Street is like huge. Everybody knows exactly Freddy Krueger.
0: Um. And then you get like Jim Jarmusch's first film. You get the the Coen Brothers' first film. Yeah. Um. You know this is Spinal Tap, which made the careers of any number of people. Yeah. At that point. Um. So I feel like uh it was just a a really interesting year. And so if I'm looking at this list. Um, I'm trying to think if any of them deserve Best Picture over Amadeus.
1: Mm, as much be, as I
0: personally love Paris, Texas, and I do, um, I, I think I personally love it more than Amadeus. Mm-hmm. Um, Amadeus is a is a fantastic movie. It is yeah. it's everything that we that we want in a Best Picture. Yeah, um,
1: I don't know that any of these outdo that, and a lot of these we've talked a lot about how some of these films, uh, you know, since we've been going through the eighties, we've talked a lot about ones that kind of exemplify the eighties or things like that. Um, there's kind of, of a sense of like the, uh, the fun and populism maybe in the movies and these like, these are movies that you would, of course, think no, that wouldn't be a best picture winner. But they're movies that have a lot more staying power than a lot oh, of movies yeah. that do win best picture, like something
0: like Ghostbusters.
1: Like, yeah. everyone's going to know Ghostbusters.
0: There's a reason for as long as there seen are the other four nominees, right? But you've seen a good number of the films that came out that year, right?
1: Many more than once. Yeah. But like, yeah, a lot of these are those kind of really uh, they're they're very much about the entertainment kind of kind of populist movies. Yeah.
0: Um, but they don't sacri- But that's the thing is they don't sacrifice quality to do that. No, like, a movie that is just trying to pander to an audience, even if it's number one that year, box office wise, it's not going to last.
1: Yeah, you know, um, which I feel like we're seeing more of that nowadays. I feel like that's. I think so. That's uh, happening more now than it did in the eighties.
0: <laughs> and you know, and that's the thing is I feel like, especially because there are certain. I think studios only think in terms of uh opening day Mm -hmm. certainly these days i think probably back as far as far back as maybe 20 years ago maybe earlier uh, not uh, definitely earlier but maybe even a little bit later than that like there's still the concept of word of mouth yeah a film staying in theaters and growing and growing a following whereas now it's very much it needs to be number one of the box office if it isn't we consider it a failure yeah and that's the end and so it's it's a very uh uh, it's very short-sighted.
1: Yeah, because a lot of the ones that people do end up talking about are the ones that, that I mean, still even nowadays have that word of mouth where yeah. they start at, you know, they, they don't even start close to number one, but then they work their way up the list as the weeks yeah. go on.
0: Yeah, it does happen from time to time. And, uh, and that's the thing is, like, you know, when I look at, like, the number one movies of, like, the last few years, it's often, you know, well, there's the Transformers films, but as far as, like, the movies that people really like – when I look at the Marvel movies, for example, they will be notable because of what they did, which is this series of films. No, you don't need to see all of them. Hmm. You can pick the one you like. You can pick, oh, I like Thor. I'm going to watch the Thor movies. I don't really like Captain America. I won't watch those. And then maybe I'll watch the Avengers films when they all come together. Um but that they all do work together as well. That's something that hasn't really been done before. And so it will be noted f- for that. And then the handful of the Marvel movies that are good. I think I- the first Iron Man is good. I think the second Captain America is good. I think the Avengers is very good. I don't think anybody will think back on the Thor movies as their favorites. I think they will view them as necessary to the larger series. And that's about it. Um, and so, uh, yeah, there's just not a lot – like. In the end, staying power is whatever is good. Yeah, and like I really, when I look back at like if I look at the the IMDb top two hundred, and of course there's a, there's always a few like Johnny Come Latelys there, but like when you look at the movies like in the top thirty, and you and you factor out whatever movie just came out that everybody's rating really highly, and that usually that usually drops down after about six months. Mm-hmm. But if you look at like the top thirty, they're all they're I would say they're all good movies if not great hmm. and some of them are from 50 years ago some of them for are from 15 years ago um that does seem to be the thing that like i don't think you're likely to find a transformers movie in the top 30 on imdb and yeah. imdb is hardly like you know the critics come together it's, yeah it's it's just regular users and it always keeps coming back to the same few that people feel like they can watch over and over again and engage with the characters and engage with the filmmaking and that sort of thing. Yeah, so.
1: Cause I think even people who tend to skew more towards populist films, if you really have them sit down and think about it, like many of them are not going to say that, uh, Transformers is better than say an Indiana Jones movie or right. Ghostbusters or something like, I think there's still a recognition that, Uh, you can make good movies that are uh, that are still mass appeal and uh the a lot of the ones that are coming out now are not the good mass appeal
0: ones like i was watching as i I, as i think i mentioned yeah in this in this minisode um i was watching the special features on aliens now in the Alien series, my preference is the first one. Mm-hmm. I like that. And I think as time goes on, you get enough people saying how much they love Aliens and think it's better than the first one that you kind of I, I kind of dig in my heels and I might I might demonize Aliens a little bit. Oh yeah. Then you watch the making of or you watch the film itself and you're like this is still pretty it's great. It's a great movie, yeah. Um and and it's because as much as I've heard James Cameron is a is a monster of a person. <laughs> um and while I, I tend not to like the way he writes, like he does have a vision yeah. of what he wants and he's going to get it. And he's somebody who cares about the product. And even if even if it's Avatar and I don't like the product, he still cares. Mm-hmm. And that's at least something. yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, and I feel like and, – and you'll get that no matter what. Like it's so easy to say like, ah, oh, movies were better back then. There are great movies now that, that directors care about and the studio – can get behind and as a producer really kind of championing the film and that yeah. sort of thing. So it, it always happens. It's easy to say things are better in the past when I know what to think. Mm, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so, <clears throat> so to wrap up, cause we've been going on for a while now. Um, so the thing we always ask, we always say is, is if somebody said, Hey, I'm going to watch Amadeus, uh, what do you, what do you think? Uh, obviously our answer is oh you should watch it. Yeah. I'll go in the next step which is if you even if you're not thinking about watching it, start thinking about watching it. It's on Netflix right now. It's 3 hours long. I'll say that. So get ready. But it's marvelous. Yeah. You should see it. If it's you like movies, seeing. if you like music, if yeah. you like the artistic process, if you like the human condition, <laughs> you will like Amadeus. It is the one, th- uh, the one criticism I have, and it's not even a criticism of the film, is that, you know, in it there are a lot of scenes of opera, and I personally don't like most opera. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't respond to it. And so those scenes do seem to go on a bit long for me. Yeah. Uh, but there's still the visual spectacle on top of all yeah. that. So um, – and thankfully, they contextualize it enough so that you at least understand why this opera is good, even if it's not good for me specifically. Right. So – and I feel like that's any movie about art can, or any movie about anything, including sports. I don't care about sports, but I, mm-hmm. Moneyball is my favorite movie of that year. Yeah, and I love The Hustler, and I love any number of other like sport movies because they understand what it means to the characters and what it means contextually in the world that's created. Yeah, and so and that and Amadeus does that uh, completely. So I highly recommend it. Go and watch it right now. Uh, enjoy yourself, and you can thank us later. Uh, in the meantime, thank you for listening. Josh, thank you for being here. You're welcome. And we'll get you next time. Bye.